Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and I will be joined by my good friend Matt, but unfortunately, he is just coming out of his catatonic state, so um, we might need to wait a minute while he, uh, you know, eats a big old bucket of worms. Uh, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I just enjoyed a nice big bucket of funny fish-looking stuff and uh, ready to go. It was quite a quite a catatonic state I, I feel very refreshed well you know what the, the nice thing is is that we are almost to the diplomatic meeting so you know you're not gonna have to like uh you know endure any lengthy flights or uh you know like the traveling is always the worst part and you know you kind of get out of it if you uh you know go for the catatonic state like the uh Antedians. Antedians, yeah i don't know that we ever really saw these guys other than this one episode so anyway we are looking at uh the episode manhunt from uh, Next Generation, and uh, if uh, you would be so kind, Matt, why don't you go back and uh, give me a little recall rating out of five buckets of vermicula, which is actually those little fish things from the episode. Yeah, you um, you kind of like th- just sort of blindly threw a bunch of darts at the target, and you actually hit on a few things. You mentioned that this is kind of a jokey episode with a lot of eye-rolling moments, which I would say is kind of correct you mentioned that there's like an alien ambassador that comes to the ship and that is definitely correct uh, the antedians come to the ship you talked about how they were like looking for an outlaw or like some missing person who'd broken some really sort of cheese ball law and that make you kind of makes you kind of think that like oh why are they like spending all this time and those weren't really correct uh you were after you we your time ended you mentioned the outrageous okona which i think is maybe what you were thinking there uh, and then you finished it off with one with uh, that Loxana Troy will appear, and that is definitely correct. Uh, so I'm going to give you a score of uh, two buckets of vermicula out of five. Uh, for not having any clue what the episode was about, that's actually pretty decent. Yeah, and you know what? I almost felt like after this one, I felt like it was almost a double, double reverse uh, kind of thing. Because my initial thought was that it was... Um, remember there's that episode where Loxana tries to hook Deanna up with a man? Um, I think that it might be called Haven or Cost of Living. I can't remember which. Um, but then I was like, no, no, that's probably not it. And then I thought, okay, it's probably like that Okana one where they're hunting down like the Han Solo character. But then at the last minute I thought, no, you know what? Maybe it is the Loxana one where she's hooking up the... Uh, Deanna Troy with the husband so then I started trying to get pieces of that together but then this is kind of like another another episode that I didn't even remember at all like absolutely zero memory of it where she is looking for a man but um, you know what I think that uh, when it comes to early next generation if I'm getting any points I think I'm pretty happy to be honest that's probably true of um, me as well. I a lot of those episodes just kind of blur together, and they they aren't really that memorable because they're they're some of them are kind of out there, like this one. Indeed, this one. So this <laughs> is Manhunt from uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, season two, episode number nineteen. It aired back on June nineteenth, nineteen eighty nine. It had a whole whack of guest stars, including, of course, Majel Barrett as Loxana Troy, Robert Costanzo as Slade Bender. Carol Strucken as Home, or Mr. Home, I should say, Rod Arents as Rex, Cole Meany as Miles O'Brien, Robert O'Reilly as Scarface, and Rhonda Aldrich as Madeline. This one was written by Terry Devereaux, and it was directed by Rob Bowman. Uh, if you haven't seen this one in a while, it is always one of the ones that comes up in kind of like the funnier, funnier goofier episodes, but if you that's not your thing, then uh, here's a little recap of what happens. While transporting comatose Antedian diplomats, the Enterprise, is visited by the daughter of the fifth house of Beta Zed, holder of the sacred chalice of Rix, and the heir to the holy rings of Beta Zed, Loxana Troy. 
Adding to her impressive resume is the fact that she is the Federation Ambassador of Beta Z, so the Enterprise has no option but to take her, much to the chagrin of Captain Picard and Loxana's ever-embarrassed daughter, Counselor Troy. To make matters worse, Loxana is entering the phase. It's a Betazoid-like menopause that increases her sex drive tenfold. Mother Troy sets her sights on the handsome Jean-Luc Picard as he sets his sights on hiding out in his Dixon Hill holodeck program. After some cat-and-mouse romance, Picard expresses that he doesn't have feelings for Luxana, and Luxana uses her Beta Z mind-reading powers to rat out the Antedian diplomats who were planning on blowing up the conference they were being taken to. All right, Matt. Now, as is customary on RTR, we typically will go over kind of our overall impression and, uh, you know, kind of think about the last time that we saw it, the first time that we saw it. But I think with this one, it's pretty safe to say that it kind of caught us both off guard. Um, we kind of talked about it a little bit before we started recording, and this just seems to be one of those random Next Generation episodes that has just kind of slipped through the mythos and um, I has absolutely no kind of resonance with me at all if i was watching tv on a random sunday afternoon and this came on i would maybe contemplate that i had never seen it um there's a couple little things maybe that are reminiscent of something but it is kind of a forgettable episode um not to say that it's bad necessarily but um it's definitely one that is hard to i don't know it's kind of hard to remember to be honest what is that kind of a fair assessment uh yeah i like, as I mentioned at the end of the last podcast, I had no idea what happens in it. All I knew is that Loxana Troy was in it, and that's only because of a trading card that I have. And, I mean, there's no... I have no noteworthy stories about the first time I saw it. I mean, it just would have been during reruns in the early 90s at some point. I would have seen it. But uh, it, these some of these first season and second season Next Generation episodes, like, they really kind of bleed together, uh, a lot of them. I mean, the only thing that kind of stuck out to me when I went through and watched this again was that the Antedians look really cool, like really cool aliens. And I do remember that that sort of fish-like alien, but I, it, but they could, you could have dropped them into any episode and I wouldn't have known any better. Like I w if you had said, which episode are the Antedians in, I would have been like, I, I don't know, some first or second season episode. Like I wouldn't have known that it was this one. So... Yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that this one kind of just bl blends in together with a lot of the other first and second season episodes. I mean, I guess that one of the questions that I would kind of pose to you, especially since um, there's not a lot of Luxana episodes overall. I think there's maybe six Next Generation, three Deep Space Nine, like in that ballpark. Yeah, that's 100% correct. I actually looked it up a little earlier before we started. Because I was thinking, like, is she really in that many? And, I, and I, I thought maybe when I sort of racked my brain, I was like, I don't think she really is. She seems like she's in a lot because she's always, like, the focal point of the episode. But she, yeah, like you say, six Next Generation and three Deep Space Nine. And I mean, maybe the question that I, yeah, maybe another question to ask is kind of like, do they go to the well too many times with this same kind of, um, you know, it's the old horn dog. She's after Picard. Um, there's the episode where she gets married. There's the episode where she tries to hook up Deanna. Um, they've done a couple of good episodes with, with, with Loixana. Um, the most notable one is probably the one where you find out that she had a second child. Um, that one is pretty good. Um, there's also kind of one in Deep Space Nine where you see a bit more of a human side when she kind of connects with Odo. But, I mean, for the most part, she's always played for laughs. She's always played as this kind of, you know, spinster, swinging older lady who still, you know, wants to get it on and stuff. And, I mean, does that kind of make her a bit one note in the sense that all the episodes that she shows up in has the same backbone or the same plot point? Would it be fair to, like, characterize her as, like, a Star Trek cougar? Yeah, kind of exactly what she is, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I I think it does kind of, like, later on, like, you mentioned that, that seventh season Next Generation episode, which I think is called Dark Page, where you find out that she has that daughter. That one was much different, and I think even the ones in Deep Space Nine, I think they do kind of add a little bit more depth to the character, but the first the earlier next generation ones yeah it's pretty much the same thing every time they just kind of change it around a little bit right like instead of it being diana's her whatever yeah she's instead of chasing after picard there'll be she'll be chasing after you know the male alien of the week right right but they're pretty much all the, the earlier ones are pretty much all the same and it's 
it's I feel like it's kind of cringy to begin with and the more they do it the more you're just like oh come on like can you do something different or just stop doing this because it's kind of uncomfortable to watch at times yeah and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily really work interestingly enough this one is uh, a sequel to Haven of sorts as well as it was meant to kind of be a sequel to The Big Goodbye you remember that's like kind of the first Dixon Hill um, episode so um, when they were doing this one they kind of thought you know what there's not really enough to do a sequel to Haven there's not really enough to do a sequel to The Big Goodbye what if we just kind of combine them make a story that kind of fits for both and we kind of pay off those two episodes in in a one shot now I don't know that it works I don't know that I like it but one thing that is interesting about it is that this is kind of the beginnings or at least the, the very early seedlings of kind of a more serialized Star Trek show because that Dixon Hill thing was introduced earlier and then it pays off here. Loxana as a character was introduced earlier and now they're kind of trying to pay it off. So this is 1989. This is way before Deep Space Nine, way before Star Trek Picard or Discovery, but there was still that mindset of the writers like, oh, well, something happened before. Let's see where it's at. I don't necessarily know that I was would be keen on having a Loxana sequel, but it certainly was kind of neat that they... They sort of had a, a next uh, chapter of the whole Dixon Hill thing that they introduced in The Big Goodbye. I thought that was pretty cool. I kind of have my own reservations about how they sort of the B story of this that we can talk about a little later on. But um, I mean, it's kind of neat that they were thinking sort of of sequels uh, at this point in time. The other thing that they were trying to kind of do, and uh, do you remember that one where they get stuck in the casino town, which I really like? Um it was supposed to be a bit more film noir. Uh, and the person who wrote this one also wrote the the Royale, and they've come out since and said that you know they kind of had this idea that it would be really great to do a Star Trek episode in a very true to form film noir kind of style, um, and then in the the last minute or you know in in the dying hours the studio executives came in tweaked it changed it and in this particular episode made a lot more kind of jokes uh they kind of put majel's character in a lot more scenes and really just kind of lightened it up to the point where like i this to me is not really film noir at all but the idea of it it w was in the original idea um number one do you think that it works well when they go out of you know kind of science fiction and they do different uh styles and then number two do you think that this episode would work better if it was a true film noir well i i quite like it when they go i mean it's nice that they have the holodeck in the you know sort of the next generation era of star trek where they can sort of like voyager did that a fair bit where they would there was the captain proton and there was the pool hall in in france and all those all you know all those other tom paris programs and it was kind of nice to have a bit of a change of scenery from the normal, uh, you know, space uh, setting. And, and it's nice that they were able to do that. And I, I mean, when you think about, again, those Tom Paris programs, like, can you imagine having maybe a little bit more from this Dixon Hill thing? Because I think that would have been a pretty cool little ongoing, you know, holodeck thing that I, I don't think they really did enough of. I think that Dixon Hill would only be, what, two or three episodes, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I think that would probably stack up pretty well against any of the other ones that Tom Paris uh, dreamed up. Yeah. And I mean, the holodeck definitely re made it more realistic in a way, because in the original series, they always had to find like a human like planet where there was a Western going on or whether there was Nazis going on or they had to use time travel. But if you do the holodeck, it kind of just means that you can do any story at any time. And, uh, you know, Deep Space Nine also, right, they did like the James Bond one and um, they did kind of the, the swing in 60s with the Vic Fontaine. So, I mean, anytime after Next Generation, they really leaned into it and they used the holodeck a lot. And then, I mean, I guess, you know, we did get a Western Enterprise episode and, and we did that kind of thing. It just seems to me that, yeah, the later ones tended to work better when they just went all in. Like this to me is not really going all in on it. And it's part of the reason why it kind of falls flat. Whereas, you know, a few seasons later, like Fistful of Data, they go all in on a Western and it just works on a lot more levels. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this it would have been nice to get it maybe even like a full episode where this is like the main, you know, story point, you know, where there it's just like total Dixon Hill. I mean, it felt like they were only in the holodeck here for... I mean, I guess there was the scene in his office and then in the bar, but that was really it. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess I guess we'll never know unless maybe uh, you know Picard season two or Picard season three. Maybe he'll revisit <laughs> Dixon Hill. Yeah, eighty-year-old Jean-Luc Picard uh, living out his holodeck fantasies as Dixon Hill. <laughs> All right, Matt, now we're going to dig into the plot here. There's not a lot of stuff, but I mean, I guess some of these things are of interest. Uh, I think that this episode for me is one where the plot is kind of secondary to the gags, secondary to the jokes and the laughs and things. Um, But we do get some interesting bits. Um, The first thing is, is that this definitely has a bit more of a TOS feel to start. Uh, The Antedians with kind of the long... uh, tendrils on their faces and like the big tinfoil suits and everything uh, I feel like they are very I don't know yeah they're very next they're very original series ish and it's hard to know whether this is just because it's like early days of next generation or whether you know they dug this out of the the closet or the wardrobe but um, I mean this is pretty far out there for next generation what are your thoughts on the Antedians? I thought the Antedians were the best part of the episode. They looked so cool because it was just so different from everything we've seen. And I get what you're saying about sort of the, it feels kind of original series-ish. I, I feel like this is how the aliens would have looked on the original series if they'd had the ability to do it. Like a little bit more money, a little bit more tech. Well, or even in the 60s, like the makeup was probably, like that probably would have been virtually impossible for them to do. Something that had elaborate... Um, without spending a ridiculous amount of money so i i thought those they looked really cool they were like soup really out there and i thought the makeup was really well done and the suits were were kind of simplistic but they it kind of worked i thought because they're supposed to be sort of like these like fish looking things and i feel like if fish wore clothes they might kind of be shiny and sort of flowy like water yeah yeah so i thought it actually worked i thought it worked really well i thought they looked really cool and um they did this one other time in the next generation early on where they went completely nuts with the makeup there was this one episode called uh lonely among us where there actually were two uh different aliens there was one that looked like a like a snake like their head looked almost like a cobra and then there was another one that kind of looked almost canine-like. It had kind of like the a bit of a snout and the sort of dog-looking teeth. And then they had these like weird hair on the side. So they did go pretty crazy with makeup as uh, for aliens a couple of times early on. And I, I feel like, and then those aliens seem kind of TOS-like to me as well. And so I think they just did that because they, they had the money and they could actually do it. And it's something that they wanted to do all along. Yeah, and I feel like people are always kind of jonesing for more crazy aliens or maybe even like quadruped or insectoid kind of aliens, which we eventually do get, but then by the time we get them, they're all CG. So it's kind of funny how things go, right? Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting about these particular aliens is that um, Dr. Pulaski is in charge of monitoring their comatose states. And I, I mean, we can talk about Dr. Pulaski as kind of a... Uh, you know, opposite to Beverly Crusher. But one of the things that I kind of thought was interesting as well was like, if you go to medical school in the the 24th century, um, do you have to know every alien physiology that there is? Is it basically like, you know, if one species has lungs and other species lungs work the same way? Um, They got around this with the doctor and Voyager just because they could upload all the information. But as a like physician, you know, this is an interesting kind of thing, right? Like she seems to know all about it and everything. Like, did she just research it and she's going by the fly? Or is it that they, you actually need to do this in medical school? That's an interesting question. I feel like if you had to know all of the physiology of all these aliens, like medical school would take like 20 years. <laughs> yeah, you just get, you get graduated and you work a year and retire. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I feel like maybe they just sort of teach them overarching physiological concepts that that sort of uh, that they can use that knowledge to be able to figure out how to treat different aliens but yeah that's an interesting uh that's an interesting question about how they are i guess it's almost like a veterinarian where they have to be able to treat like a dog 
a uh, you know a snake uh, and a horse in the same day. So I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like veterinarian school. And they did do a good job in Deep Space Nine when Doctor Bashir was ever ever working on Odo. They made a point to say that he didn't know what the physiology was, but there were certain markers that would basically change or certain things would be different from one scan to another. And that was really the only kind of thing he had to go from. Um, so you're probably right. And I think that, yeah, you're, you know what, that veterinarian analogy is a good one because a horse lung and a cat lung is very different, but they probably function in a similar way. So as long as you kind of understand the underlying function then maybe you could do it so i don't know i thought it was kind of good um are you a pulaski fan or are you kind of one of these people that you know rolls your eyes whenever that second season episode comes up um i think when i was younger i kind of thought she was just a cranky old hag <laughs> to to i don't know for lack of a better term but i think now that i'm a little older i kind of appreciate that she is a a, you know she's a pretty good character because she does have develop over that one season a, a pretty decent rapport with uh like mr wharf for example there there are a couple of scenes sort of scattered throughout where she's like showing a genuine interest in like klingon culture and he's like you know slowly but you know a little bit opening up to her a little bit and you know, so I thought she was a decent character uh, throughout the second season. I'm not. A, I'm not someone who who despises or or just dislikes her. I mean, the other thing too is that at least she was something different. Like she also didn't really like Data that much. She was almost kind of against, um, not against him, but just she didn't have the same level of respect for Data that the other characters did. Like they kind of did some things with her that were slightly, you know, not the mainstream Star Trek kind of thing. And I felt like that looking back now was a, a smart thing to do and made her definitely stand out. But I mean, Dr. Pulaski is not the part, not the point of this episode. The point here is locks on a Troy. And so she comes in on the shuttle. She beams in with Mr. Holm, of course. Um, the very first scene with the heavy bag. So she's got like the big trunk and nobody can lift it, but then Mr. Holm can lift it. Like it's so light like one finger yeah like is this funny is this not funny is this dated did you laugh like what are your thoughts when you see Riker like lugging this thing and then Mr. Holm picks it up easily um is this kind of like eye roll here we go or are you laughing and thinking this is really smart written, smartly written I want to know what the heck she's got in that case or or what it's made of like is it made of like granite like <laughs> polished granite like I don't get it why is it so heavy or is it because She's got so many clothes in there. She's like somehow crammed all of her clothes in there and it's just so heavy. Like the, like that. And the jewelry too. That's what yeah, I Yeah, I guess the jewels would make it. But it seems so stereotypical to me that like this woman who always has these extravagant clothes and all the, the jewels and so on would have this like bag that weighs like 200 pounds. Like that's... Uh, it, it was probably funny the first time I saw it, but now it's just like, ugh, well, this is so dumb. It's kind of like, remember Spaceballs, where <laughs> she's got the huge trunk and she's dragging it across the desert? That's exactly what I thought, but I felt it was kind of funnier there. I thought there was some decent acting by Frakes, though, because he, he yeah, to pretend, pretend it, was it was really heavy. And then, um, like, I think the first scene on the transporter, like, maybe they legitimately just, like, threw a bunch of bricks in there so it would be heavy. But the second time you see him carrying it, he had to have acted because he put it down and then Mr. Hom like, picked it up with one hand. So in order for that to work, True. for, you know, the actor who's playing Mr. Hom to be able to lift it like that, it would have had to be pretty light. And he made it look pretty, it was pretty convincing the way he, he acted that, that it was really heavy. Maybe he went to mime school. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, no, that that is true. Um, one of the the next thing I kind of want to talk about is uh, Lawaxana Troy doesn't seem to be a very good diplomat. When she shows up, she almost immediately starts into ripping on the Antedians, saying stuff like, "Oh, the last time I saw a guy like that, he was on a plate." Um, she calls Mister Data a robot. Uh, at one point, which I thought was kind of funny, um, but her general kind of sense of things is. I mean, she's supposed to be royalty. She's supposed to be snobby. She's supposed to be snooty. But if you're a diplomat, aren't you kind of supposed to, I don't know, aren't you supposed to be bigger than that? Yeah, that was some really sort of ignorant comments that she made. 
And I, yeah, I was, what did I write down? I didn't think I wrote anything, but yeah, that was something that really stuck out to me that like, wow, that's, uh, that's, those are some pretty like scornful things to say about, you know, a, 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 a species, you've, a species never met. you've never met. And also, you know, data, you know, she calls him a robot. <laughs> and then the other, the next scene immediately following this one is another thing that you don't really see, which is that it's the crew and they're kind of doing the same thing, but they're doing it against Loxana Troy. So they're kind of gossiping at the comm stations and Picard scolds them a little bit. That's not something that we have ever really seen before or after, or at least I can't really think of it, where there's this open kind of gabbing of the crew where they're just gab not not even necessarily just gossiping, but gossiping about the person that is, you know, a main part of the mission, which I thought was weird. Yeah, that whole thing was kind of awkward um, and very uncharacteristic, especially the Next Generation crew. Like, I think there's some parts in Deep Space Nine where they're like, on the bridge of the defined and they're like just sitting and waiting and like o'brien might be like saying something like oh you know Keiko yes. got upset at me because i left my you know dirty socks on the floor but but this is like full-blown like gossip well you know like there the one that kind of stands out to me is when wesley's like and then she comment she said something about his legs and riker's like oh yeah, yeah. she did you should have been there and, you yeah know, wink, wink nudge nudge it was so it was very very out of character for next generation no and i guess they're still trying to find their legs as they kind of go through but, but eventually riker be, <laughs> but riker eventually becomes kind of more i don't know he's, he he becomes better at being a little bit more tongue in cheek like doing it with the like an eyebrow raise or like a you know like a nod of the head kind of thing um this whole bit doesn't make any sense to me um she sets up a diplomatic dinner where she invites everybody and they're all supposed to wear their dress clothes and everything. But then it turns out that really it's actually just she only invited one person. And uh, because it's a diplomatic dinner, Picard has to go. So he kind of gets tricked into it. But then everybody else knows about it. And they're all like doing the same thing. Like, oh, I didn't get an invite. And so then he goes to this dinner it's not overly romantic. It's not as if she's really being forward or anything. It's just kind of like an awkward, bad dinner. And then Picard kind of does a panic move and calls in Data, which makes even less sense. And then Data comes in completely oblivious and starts talking about sensor arrays and all this kind of stuff. Like, this is just so zany. It's so weird. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense. What are your kind of thoughts on the beginnings of this, you know... Loxana trying to woo Picard. Well, I did like the scene on the bridge where, like, he scolds them, and then he mentions the dinner, and he's like, full dress uniform, and he, like, leaves, and they're all sort of looking around, and they're like, what's he talking about? There's What dinner is he talking about? And then, and Riker sort of goes to, like, each of them, and they're all like, I don't know, I don't know, and I, I thought that was kind of funny, but the rest of it was just, it was so weird. He walks in, he's got, like, the bottle of wine, and then Mr. Hom, like, chugs it. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> he, like, chugs the whole bottle just like... for no reason. He just sort of, like, chugs it, puts it down, and then walks away. And, um, yeah, the whole dinner was just weird. It's, you know, like, it's like you said, it wasn't really that romantic at all. I mean, she's trying to woo him, but it didn't seem like she was trying to woo him, and then... He like totally panics and he's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get Mr. Data and he'll just bore her to death with, I'll just get him to talk about all these weird random things that she'll have zero interest in. And then maybe I can just like slip out the back while he's doing it. But then he doesn't do anything. He just stays there the whole time. Like, I don't know what he was trying to do. Yeah. The whole thing is, again, there's something about this. And I mean, we've talked about this in the past and I don't. I don't like to kind of get on to Gene Roddenberry because I feel like, you know, he, he created Star Trek. You know, he's a genius in his own right. He had the, the wherewithal to do it. But there feels like there's some, like, some original series, like Gene Roddenberry mingling in here or something, um, especially when you get to this next section. Can I ask you a chemistry question first? Sure. Data mentions uh, europium. Is that a real element? Yep, europium is one of the elements in the lanthanides and actinides. Uh, okay, I was curious just because I heard that and I, was, I wasn't sure because I'm not a chemist. And uh, I, I was thinking like, oh, did they like invent a new element for uh, 
this episode? To be honest with you, Europium would be one that was probably relatively new during the, the late like eighties. Yeah, because oh, cool. pretty much anything after the you know, like when they started kind of creating them in a lab, they all have names like Californium, Europium, and then they they started naming them after famous scientists too, like Mendelevium and stuff like that. So right. um it may be that it was actually just invented and they were like, Oh, you know what, we'll throw it in there as kind of like a cool uh, you know, cool little tie-in. That is that is neat. Yeah, cool. Right on. I wasn't sure. I thought I'd ask. So anyway, next on to the the next kind of part that I kind of was thinking was more like was very Gene Roddenberry esque yes. is this idea that they're going to have a Beta Z menopause. And it's gonna be not like human menopause where, you know, you kind of lose your sexual prowess or your you, you lose your ability to reproduce. This is going to be like where you become insanely attracted and you're going to have to go and and try to reproduce. I see what they're doing. I, I kind of, you know, whether it works or not is a, is a different thing. What are your thoughts on the phase? Well, you, you pretty much nailed it. This is like totally a Gene Roddenberry thing where you have a female character that goes into this sort of like hyper-sexual phase of their life. Like that's something that Gene Roddenberry would probably do from what I've you know read and heard and I thought it was a little bit uh odd I mean I don't mind it like it's not like I'm upset by the idea of having a beta z menopause but there's just this whole thing is weird like even Pulaski when uh Counselor Troy goes to her with like some legitimate concerns Pulaski's like well Captain Picard should be having sex he needs the exercise like wink 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 it's like wait what like I don't know. That's not really something that your doctor would say to like your friend. I don't know, or or maybe because they're both medical professions, professionals, they can share this kind of stuff. But it's like in the hallway. Like I don't know. I feel like it's that's ripe for gossip right there. I thought that walk and talk with Troy and Pulaski. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, now the part that I thought was funny was when Troy like explains it to her, and. She's like, well, shouldn't we, like, warn him about this? And one of them, I forget who it was, but one of them was like, no, we'll just let it be. He, you know, it's it's good for him to be thinking on his feet. I thought that was pretty funny. But otherwise, I thought it was a little bit kind of odd that they'd be like, no, we'll just, we'll just sick Troy's mother on him. No problem. He'll be able to handle himself, even though she's going through this crazy biological uh, process. <laughs> I suppose it is somewhat innocuous. It's not like it's it's not like he's in any real danger, right? And I mean, he does have the ability to just say no. It's not like it, it's not like it's the, the dolphin or something like that where it's going to attack you. <laughs> or she or she spawns like like superhuman strength in order to you know satisfy like him or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not really like that. So I mean, from that perspective, it's yeah. And that's the other thing I don't like about this episode, though, is that I mean. If you really wanted to kind of have a message that is resonates throughout time, is that they could have done this whole flip thing where Loaxana is going through the phase, so she's you know extremely attracted to Picard, and and you know she's very forward, she's very blunt, maybe even aggressive, and the the story should be Picard saying no, like I I don't want this, and I am not interested. No means no, and kind of do the flip thing where it's kind of like a man that's at the on the other side of kind of like you know sexual catcalling and things that could have been a bit more interesting. And I mean, obviously, it would resonate a lot more today than it probably would back in 1989, but I think it would have been kind of an interesting thing to do to kind of flip that onto its head. Um, this whole thing where Picard just runs away and hides in the holodeck kind of makes Picard seem like cowardly. Yeah, cowardly and not the Picard that we know, the big speech and the, you know, you know, the man of many words kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know that I, I, I don't like the way that he deals with it, but I mean, I am happy to go back to the Dixon Hill novels and um, to kind of see him there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Dixon Hill and what are your thoughts on this interpretation of it? One thing I wrote down, the scenes like looked really sharp. Um, I'm not sure if they filmed it differently or because they had different sets like i assume that this was probably filmed on some you know 30s detective sets that they already had so maybe like i it just looked really good to me um and i you know i have no problem with the little dixon hill um 
his reason for like you know scurrying to the holodeck was kind of i wasn't really crazy about that i feel like he's not the kind of guy that would just be like oh this this woman's after me that i'd have no interest in i'm just gonna run away i feel like he would you know try to deal with it a little bit more directly rather than just running to the holodeck yeah i i I totally agree with that and one thing i did like which i thought was maybe something that they could do in another episode or or do in a different way was that i did like the idea so he he runs the dixon hill episode and the guy comes in and basically pulls out the gun and picard's like freeze 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 freeze." like i don't want this is my relaxing time I don't want a guy to come in and beat the crap out of me and wrestle me and shoot me and stuff. I want it to be more relaxing. So he keeps trying to change the parameters. And the computer basically says, like, well, you know, if, if you want to do the Dixon Hill thing, this is kind of what it is. It's it's high action. It's excitement, right? And he's kind of going more for maybe like a murder mystery, like a Sherlock Holmes. Um that is a really excellent point. You know, I, I know that, you know, we both play video games, you know, we both watch uh, action movies and things like that for uh, relaxation, but it wouldn't really be relaxing if you were part of it. You know what I mean? Like if you sit down to a video game console and you, you know, you go and you shoot Nazis in Call of Duty or something, it's kind of like, you know, a relaxing kind of thing. But if you were in a holodeck and you were like hiding out in like wet bunkers and shooting guys and blood was going everywhere and it was super uber realistic, that would not be a relaxing activity (laughs) at all. It would be the complete opposite of relaxing. And um, this is kind of the only time I really could think of where, I mean, other than when the safeties go off. But this was really the only time I could actually see where the characters stopped the program. was like, no, I don't want to do this. It's not really, um, it's not really, you know, scratching me where I itch. Yeah, that, that is a good, it is kind of interesting to think of like how they use the holodeck for recreation. Because if you think about all the programs that we see, like, a lot of them are probably not that relaxing for this reason, you know, like like Bashir and O'Brien on Deep Space Nine. They're always like in the Battle of Britain and, and fighting at the Alamo and all this stuff. And, and mm, I mean, it'd be horrible to be. It, in yeah, that. exactly. Like, I mean, so maybe the concept of relaxation is a little bit different in the 24th century because you have these holodecks that are completely immersive and um so i don't know maybe they just have different different ways of relaxing in the in the future i guess maybe the other thing that i would say is that maybe to maybe the viewer sees the holodeck as like an exact like totally realistic but maybe if you were actually on it there would be something that would be well but then everybody always gets tricked by falling in love with them and stuff so that's not true either i was gonna say maybe it's like not quite exactly real so it wouldn't be so bad but um i mean this is another a a great transition here so troy comes into the bar and kind of gives picard the runaround which she he she he doesn't really have to answer to her um, you know, even though he kind of did it the, the cowardly way, it's not like he did anything wrong. Um, and of course, Troy doesn't care because she falls for Rex, the hunky barkeep. <laughs> um, and I guess this is probably the first time that we see, uh, you know, kind of this idea that, you know, the holodeck would be used for sexual purposes. It would be used for, um, you know, things that would be unkempt in star trek and it's funny because everybody that is uh, a main character is kind of like when should we tell her you know or they kind of say that like uh you know let her enjoy it for a little while but there's there's never they don't really mention necessarily that you know in the holodeck you could theoretically kiss somebody sleep with somebody do do things that you wouldn't be able to do um you know normally like there's no there's no like sex settings on the holodeck at least that's what i would took it as <laughs> yeah i mean i think they did do it once before there was that episode where the binars do you remember that one that was like sort of short people they created that hologram to distract Riker and picard that that right lady. yes um but yeah they, it's something that you don't really see them do very much and that's probably a good thing but you know what? Then I would I would also argue though, like then they did the whole thing where Barclay had like the copies of um, each of like Troy and and Crusher and stuff, and there was like some definite you know innuendo that they he was doing things he shouldn't be doing. Um, there's also like remember when Quark tried to get the uh, Major Kira oh, hologram yes. so that he could sell it as like on the sex market, like that was 
taking this whole thing to another level altogether. Um, and in Deep Space Nine, they explicitly kind of talk about how you can rent out the hollow deck for, you know, for sex, sex purposes, right? Remember there was that one, remember in uh, Way of the Warrior where uh, Dax and Kira are on the holodeck and Worf like walks in for the first time and they come like running out and Dax is like, I can't believe you. They have that, the weird like pointy hats and she's like, I can't believe you, you hit uh, Sir whoever. And she's like, he tried to kiss me. <laughs> well, you know what though? I guess if just to kind of go full circle, there is also that episode where uh, Tuvok goes through the pond far and the doctor actually um, prescribes going to the holodeck to have sex so that he won't have, uh, you know, any of the adverse effects. So, I mean, there are positives to it as well because, um, yeah, that, that was like something that, uh, you know, there was no other Vulcans anywhere around. So that, and he didn't want to cheat on his wife. So, um, yeah, I mean, and then that's it. That's the episode. So it finishes up with, uh, Loxana saves the conference, the, uh, Antedians come out of their sleep and because they're awake and because she has, you know, such strong, uh, telekinetic powers, um, she reads their mind and it turns out that that big thing of Reculum is filled with a big bomb and they were planning on blowing up the conference and it's just kind of like a very ho-hum like, oh, yep, let's just solve this and be done with it and then that's it. It's over. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the kind of the closer to this and do you even really get a closer or is this just kind of like, well, we're running out of time here. Let's wrap it up. Number one, I don't see the point. Because it was just, it was like a throwaway line. She's just like, oh, and yeah, they're just planning to blow up the conference. And everyone's like, what? And they get, they put up, the Antedians put up no fight when she like reveals their plan. They just sort of stand there, look at each other, and that's it. I thought it was just, I, I don't understand what the point of it was. You know, was it to try to establish that, oh, she's so powerful that she's able to like just read like i think she said that their minds were so simple she could read them in her sleep like are we supposed to then believe that she's just this like super powerful you know telepath like i don't know it just seemed like it was kind of a pointless thing to throw in there but they do make a point of always saying that her skills as a telepath are way stronger than deanna's um, partially because she's full beta zoid. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Isn't that cause, though because Deanna's half human? Yes. So that was one part of it. But I also do believe that in other episodes, I think it might have even been Mimaja Troy, which we did last um, last semester or last uh, season. Uh, because remember, the Ferengi are harder to to read, read or something. Um, but I do remember Troy or Riker or somebody saying that not only is Loxana Troy really good for just the fact that she's a baby, but she's also exceptionally gifted in that skill. So um, I, again, that's just going off my memory, but I, I have a feeling like she is not only have the beta Z part, but she was also just like very strong at it as well. Okay. Fair enough. The, like, I, I think they could have done something with this, like sort of to make a more interesting B plot. Like maybe there was like, it was kind of like a mystery. Like they thought they detected something weird in that canister and they're trying to like figure out what it is. And then at the end they finally, they, you know, the crew figures out cause the crew is really not in this much at all. I mean, they're Riker and Troy are in it a bit cause you know, they're, they're dealing with Troy's mother, but LaForge isn't in the episode at all. Uh, Worf and Data are not in it that much. Like, I, I think they could have maybe used this assassination plot as a way of kind of making a more interesting B story for this episode. Because, I mean, really, the Dixon Hill, I mean, I think that's sort of supposed to be the B story, but that sort of is worked into the main part because Picard is using that to to escape from from Loxana. so I, I don't know i feel like they could have done something with that and made it a little bit more interesting rather than just like a throwaway line at the very very end and yeah you know what that is an excellent point because it, it definitely felt too rushed and i almost feel like they could have cut out maybe like five minutes worth of jokes and then you could have maybe had a little bit more time to flush it out but you know what i think that the, the thing here is is that it's all about Loxana. Uh, you know, she's not in a ton of episodes, so they're going to give her the screen time. And uh, I have a feeling that the writers and the, the executive people just think this stuff is hilarious. And so they don't really care so much about the story. It's kind of secondary in nature. 
All right, Matt, that is the plot done and dusted. Uh, let's just take a look at the, uh, the cast of characters here. Obviously, the only real main guest star, I would say, is Loxana Troy and Mr. Hom. Uh, we saw Loxana back when we did uh, Menage a Troy. I feel like we maybe even did a Deep Space Nine episode uh, with her in it, but I, I may be wrong there. Um, what are your thoughts on Loxana just kind of as a, a character in this episode, as a character overall? We only get a handful of times, but um, I feel like, yeah, it's kind of too bad that uh, a lot of them are, are done in kind of for jokes because she actually does have a couple of good episodes. When I when I wrote down in my notes, oh God, not walks on a Troy again. <laughs> uh, I generally find her to be a very annoying, obnoxious, and I. There are a handful of her episodes that are are good. I mean, I, I as much as I dislike the character, I did enjoy Menage a Troy because it's a pretty funny episode. But I don't know. I just I I don't I don't like the character much. Um, I found that in this episode, it was kind of even more awkward because she's got this she's going through this phase and her like you know sexual desires are you know cranked up to 11 and so i don't know i was this one was kind of a tough one to get through because mostly because of Loxana troy i feel like the couple episodes that she's really good in uh it's mostly the writing maybe like i think maybe that's just the the thing it's hard to pin it on major bear it's hard to you know, blame her for any one particular thing. Um, but I mean, in this one, this is the locks on everybody remembers, you know, the, the, the embarrassing mother, the Picard chaser. Uh, it doesn't really work for me, but I'm sure that there are locks on fans out there. I don't know. Like you said, there, there is almost like a, a weird connotation that comes about whenever Loxana gets brought up I think maybe just because of all the years of people on forums and stuff griping and groaning I almost have the same feeling as well when she shows up it's like oh here we go um another one of these ones but um she's interesting she's she's definitely uh somebody that you can talk about so um it's uh <laughs> she's got that going for her I suppose uh is there any other kind of guest stars that you noticed of interest or wanted to talk about well, I was going to ask, did you notice, did you recognize one of the gangsters in the holodeck? I didn't recognize anybody of note, no. If you put the one guy with the mustache and the really, like, bulgy eyes in Klingon makeup, you'll look just like Gowron. Gow is that what Gowron is in there? It, it is Gowron, yeah. This is the oh, first okay. time Robert O'Reilly, who plays Gowron numerous times in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, this is his first appearance in Star Trek. He was one of the, one of the gangsters that came into Dixon Hill's office. And you gotta look. You gotta look for those really bulgy eyes, because uh, if you look for it, I'm pretty sure you'll you'll spot it. Okay, I, you know I didn't notice that, but I did when the credits were rolling. I was like, oh, Robert O'Reilly, that sounds familiar, but it just seems like such a generic name. But um, interesting, good eye, very good eye. All right, production notes. Uh, there is another little nice little cameo in here, but that nobody sees. Uh, one of the Antedians is Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac. Um, apparently he was such a big Star Trek fan that he uh, endured like the two and a half, three hours of makeup <laughs> just for the sake of saying that he was on an episode of Next Generation, which is, is really cool. It's funny, you hear about a lot of celebrities who like are Star Trek fans that want to be on Star Trek, but they want to be like these crazy aliens so they maybe aren't recognized and it rarely happens. Like this is a very a very rare thing for a, a celebrity like that to actually make it in because usually... You know, like it's it's like when The Rock was on Sunkatsi. Like they don't want to bury him under a whole bunch of makeup because the whole you know, they want people to recognize who he is. Um, but a lot of the times, these celebrities are like, no, 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 I want to play this like crazy weird alien. It'll be so cool. And they're like, nope, <laughs> we want you to we want to see your face. Yeah, I mean, I I like Fleetwood Mac enough, but it's just one of those things that it's yeah. So it's just you could literally use a broom closet or like a broomstick in order to play this character right like <laughs> they don't move they don't say anything so it's such a weird thing to do but i mean i guess that's one of the one of the beauties of celebritism is that you can kind of use your flex and your power to get into these things all right you mentioned that there's no laforge this episode i think that he's probably has like a little bit of the jake syndrome i think there's a few episodes where he just doesn't show up at all for no reason he was too busy doing reading rainbow yeah exactly right doing other things <laughs> Uh, and, uh, when Troy uses the computer, she's essentially talking to herself because Major Barrett does the computer as well as, uh, locks on a Troy. 
Yeah, I wrote down, uh, yeah, I did write down that it was a sort of an interesting bit where uh, Majel Barrett was essentially talking to herself. And then uh, I've seen that this one has been ranked as one of the funnier episodes of The Next Generation. I can't remember if it was BuzzFeed or IGN or, or anything. I, I, I read it and I wrote it down and then I couldn't re go back and refind it. Um, it has been as high as number three. Um, that being said, I don't really think that it's there for me. But I guess Next Generation didn't do a lot of like straight comedy. They did, uh, you know, like later seasons maybe. But this one is a... It was an attempt. Um, did you find this episode to be funny overall? Not really. There were a couple of funny moments, but overall I didn't find it that funny. It's like I would probably put a lot of the Q episodes above this one. And that's why I'm kind of like, I don't really see how this is the third funniest. And like we talked, we did, reviewed Menage a Troy. And I feel like that's the only time where they've done this whole zany walks on a Troy thing where it's actually worked well and actually was funny. Like I feel like that's sort of like the peak walks on a troy comedy episode and it's probably one of my favorite you know i think it's probably one of the funniest next generation episodes too uh okay well then tell me what you liked about this episode what's your favorite scene or quote i have i had a really hard time picking out a line that really i thought was good um yeah i don't know i i don't know if i'm really gonna be able to to come up with one yeah i mean i mentioned that the opening scene where the antedians beam in i really like that because just the aliens were just so crazy and you know strange looking and and I, I i don't know i really like that i mean i guess maybe that's my memorable scene uh i would say that my favorite line is a mr wharf line when the antedians get beamed onto the ship and wharf says what a handsome race <laughs> i don't know why i just thought it was funny i guess he's kind of sticking with uh you know his fellow crazy looking aliens yeah i wrote that one down as kind of one that was a little bit puzzling yeah, it's not, I mean, it's his, it's his only line, I think, in the whole episode as well. Maybe, yeah. It could be. Well, give me your final thoughts on uh, Manhunt and uh, put a bow on it with uh, your rating out of five rings of Beta Z. Uh, this one was, I, I didn't really like this one. It, it was kind of awkward. It was tough for me to get through it. Um, the Dixon Hill scenes, you know, made it, you know, made it a little bit easier, but you know, I'm not a fan of Walks on a Troy. I just find her obnoxious and overbearing and not fun to watch. Um, you know, the Antedians were really good, and uh, there were a few funny moments, but I thought that this whole, like, assassination thing that they just sort of threw in at the end made no sense and kind of ruined the whole thing for me. It just left me with a sour taste in my mouth. So um, I, I'm going to be a little bit harsh, I think, and give this episode a... Uh, one ring of beta Z out of five. Uh, it was not good, not good, and not really that fun to watch. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that there's an interesting idea here. I do kind of like the idea of of finishing off those two stories, and the Dixon Hill is always kind of a, a fun thing to to see and to you know to witness. But it just doesn't really work. And this is kind of walks on at her worst. They don't really give her anything to work with other than kind of cheesy, gimmicky things. So I'm right with you. I'm going to go with one out of five rings of Beta Z. All right, Matt, that is the red alert siren for your second episode uh, of season three. You're off to a nice little start here. Let's see if you can keep it going. I'm going to dig into the French chapeau of uh, episodes here. Okay, and let's see what we've got. Do you have any hopes, dreams, wishes, Matt? Um, I hope we get one that's better than Manhunt. Uh, okay, well, you know what? Uh, seeing as we are right in the thick, uh, actually kind of get near the end here, of Star Trek Lower Decks, it's quite fitting that we are going back to the animated Star Trek world with Star Trek the Animated Series. And not only are we getting Star Trek the Animated Series, we are getting a season premiere. We are looking at Season 2, Episode 1, The Pirates of Orion. The Pirates of Orion. So Matt's going to have to take a minute here to think, but the one benefit he has is there is some clues there in the title. Orion, obviously, Pirates. He can probably make a guess here. Um, but uh, if you guys are playing along at home, try to come up with some characters, try to come up with some plot points, some secondary plot points, and, uh, you know, 
Email us in, randomtrekreview at gmail.com. How well are you doing with these randomly selected Star Trek episodes? Matt here is looking somewhat contrary. Um, Matt, how are you feeling about uh, the Pirates of Orion? Uh, I think I'm going to get one out of five. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock. Make sure that you mention either Pirates or Orions, because that will get you your one. But um, your time starts right now. Okay, uh, I am going to say that this episode involves Orion pirates, so, you know, those green aliens. Uh, I feel like they're going to steal something from the Enterprise, and then they're going to, like, fly through some weird kind of, like, Bermuda Triangle kind of anomaly in space, and the Enterprise has to, like, figure out a way that they can follow them and retrieve these things that they stole without you know succumbing to this weird bermuda triangle thing and so spock is going to have to do all this like you know scientific wizardry to figure out oh we fly through at the correct angle and the correct time we should emerge immediately next to the pirates who have stolen our stuff and um i'm sure at some point scotty will have to like push the engines to the max and kirk is going to get in a fist fight with an orion and uh and then they'll end up getting their stuff back in the end. And you're out of time. All right. Well, um, I know that uh, in the in the kind of couple of conversations that we've had, I know that we're both kind of enjoying Lower Decks and that we uh, are happy to be back in the uh, animated world of Star Trek. So uh, it'll be fun to go back to the original animated Trek when we go back to um, these TOS era um, animated shows. I have to admit that I have only ever watched one, maybe two episodes of the animated series. So anytime that we pull one of these, it's basically a guaranteed new episode for me to watch. And uh, you know what? Sometimes, you know, especially when things are busy in life, things are busy at work. Um, you know what? A 20 minute Star Trek episode, I'm not going to complain about right now. So it'll give us some time to, to recoup and to get some other stuff out. So make sure that you're looking back on the blogs. Um, we got some book reviews coming, uh, obviously when Lower Decks ends and when Discovery ends, we'll be back with reviews of that as well. So, um, yeah. Anything else to add, Matt? It'll be interesting to contrast the older animated series with what we've got in Lower Decks. I have a feeling they are going to be quite different. I have a feeling. Ways. I feel have a feeling as well that they are going to be pretty different. Uh, but you know what? You'll have to wait two weeks' time and join us again when we look at the Pirates of Orion. So long, folks. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. And it's just that, that innocence of why. Why do they do that? Mm -hmm. Why would you need to do that? And I love that having kids makes you really, sometimes you kind of, you think about it, but then you kind of pass over it because, I mean, you get older and you kind of see some of the stuff. But they just remind you, like, why? Right. Why is somebody doing this to somebody? It doesn't make sense. So that, that was a good thing to pull out. You have to be carefully taught to quote a lyric from South Pacific. <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for The Vedic Assembly, a DS9 podcast. What flavor would I Jello that hasn't set yet. <laughs> flavor, he would be orange. You reckon he'd be orange flavored? He'd be orange flavored. Right, just because he's got orange goo. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, it would be weird if he were a flavor and he were orange colored goo and you tasted it and it was like lime. That would be disconcerting. Be surprised. So, yes. Just, I say like, like <laughs> bitter orange, you know? Yeah. Bitter orange Like a blood orange. Yeah. Blood orange Odo. Yes. Oh, now I would totally eat Odo. Let's do now. that. <laughs> Loading Holosuite preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. The orangey skin makes me think of something else. Makes you think nowadays. of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, it, and bad hair. Oh my God. He's Kazon. Donald Trump is Kazon.
Trump is a Kazon. Oh my god. I'm surprised he's not calling himself Marge Trump. <laughs> because he's not very bright either. No. It fits perfectly. I understand it all now. We've we've just been taken over by the Kazon. And we didn't even realise it. No. Oh my god. <laughs> Listeners, we've just solved the mystery of the last four years in the United States. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.